Yeah, Webster. I thought you said this series was done, mate. I thought it was all over. Yeah, well, I got a whole bunch of community call-ins and it seems like a massive shame not to share them, especially given that I don't know when or even if I'll come back to the mic. Well then, you best be getting on with it. Hello Rescuers, my name is Che Webster and you're listening to Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering our passion for tabletop roleplaying games. So the last episode was supposed to be the last one for this season, but, well, then I got a whole barrage of messages and call-ins from you, the listeners, and it seems a huge shame not to share them in one kind of last hurrah of community positivity and thoughtfulness. So, well, here we are. This is Season 12, Episode 27, Community Call-Ins. So I was thinking about the zine that you wanted to produce and some of the ideas that could be incorporated. And I think the most important idea, especially in the inaugural issue is this co- this concept of starting all over again. Um, you know, I think that uh, I think that if you themed the issue around the concept of how do I get back into role playing? How do you know what are the challenges? How do I solve those challenges? You know, things such as, you know, what game do I, what, you know, what game do I play? What genre do I play? Where do I find a group? How do I find a group? You know, I think, you know, and then how, or, and that is the same as sort of building your community. I think there are a lot of hurdles in both of those things. The easier one being choosing a game the harder one being building that community you know i a lot of people you hear who are vocal about it and i think they're more or less the minority but i think they're the vocal majority and that is the uh, concept of playing with a group of people you don't know uh, outside of a convention situation you know get hopping online and playing with a group of people that's it's certainly a that's certainly a possibility but you know there are a number of factors there in terms of whether or not you're somebody who is outgoing and willing to put yourself in a position to play with people you don't know 
whether that's comfortable or not. And so, you know, how do you find a group? You know, many of us have built-in groups as far as like our kids. Uh, that's if you, you know, want to be a game master. And I think, you know, that's also a good place to get back into your game, just being a game master. There's also the, the idea of getting back into gaming through solo play. Uh, you know, whether that be something that you intend to do long term or if it's just practice for learning the game or refreshing the game. I think there are a lot of uh, possibilities there for the first issue. Um, you know, maybe even a short solo adventure for people and maybe a short beginner you know starting adventure let's say or adventure seed or something like that to be included I would certainly be willing to uh, put something out there for that just some random thoughts this morning as I commute to work Big thanks to Frank Turfler there uh, from Middle Kingdom Games. And I just, I didn't know what to do with that call-in. Uh, I think I've mentioned before, sometimes I get these call-ins and I don't quite know what to do with them. I've had a few of them. And, um, well, this is one of them. This one goes back to May. And actually, it's really linked to the GM's Journal. So uh, if you're not a listener of the GM's Journal, if you're not a patron, then this might seem odd. But I was talking about creating a roleplay rescue sort of zine maybe a bit of a one-off kind of little publication uh, with some cool stuff in it. And Frank called in with those suggestions. So that was the first thing to tell you that I don't know that this is going to go anywhere as an idea, but it was just like floating that out there. Would anybody be interested in sort of writing down some of the stuff that we have gleaned from 12 seasons of Roleplay Rescue? And Frank's suggestion, as you heard there, was starting all over again. I find it actually really timely because... As I've come to the end of season 12, I'm in a place personally where I am, you know, back to being the beginner. And I think there's great questions in that uh, call-in that I just wanted to, to float out there into the universe and say, you know, um, there's so many little things to overcome, isn't there? Or should I say big things, actually, really? Finding a group is huge. And I wanted to pick up on that point from Frank there about finding a group, that this general encouragement from the vocals out there in the world is to sort of find random people, go online, float your game. That's terrifying. I remember when I first put out Roleplay Rescue, the thought of like completely unknown people hearing my voice, that was what was scary. And then as I've kind of formed this community, you guys have kind of come to me. It's been awesome. But at the same time, it's scary because each new person is somebody new, right? And the new and the unfamiliar is scary. And so, you know, is there a way of bringing friends back to the table? I don't even know where I'd begin with that question, but it's a fantastic question and a fantastic suggestion. So I'll just stop wittering, but I'll let all that hang out there. And I've written some notes down, Frank, in my book, at the season 13 ideas, question mark. And those things are in there. Thanks, brother. Aloha, Che. It's Brian calling in from the Queensland uh, just calling with some feedback on recent episodes. So first, the episode 19, the discussion with Simon on agency. I really appreciate 
the latest round of main episode shows, it sounds as if these have really evolved from you having discussions online with some individuals that that morph extend into interviews or deep conversations. And I'll, I'll emphasize deep because it's one topic. And when I take a look at the length or minute count, I wonder, wow, how are you going to fill an episode with this? And, and of course, by the end, I have completely forgotten about the time because, you know, as has been discussed, and not just with Simon, but definitely with John Four, and I have not listened to the uh, latest one with Daniel, but there's a lot of nuance to it and there's a lot to discuss. I guess for me, I've gotten a little bit less concerned with player agency in my games, but I think that's been shaped by my most recent experiences in groups and, and caveated by that I've been in either running or been involved with mainly one shots probably over the last year with the exception of kind of the home game with my son. And so I, I would agree that I, I worry more about agency as a GM because I want to make sure I want to make sure my players feel like they have, I would say maybe the perception of limitless options or at least a range of options that they could choose to take kind of within this world, bound by maybe the rules of the world or what they're understanding from that. But I don't want them to be constrained. I don't want them to feel, you know, when I go into a room, I, I, I tap, I, I make the whatever check, I, you know, I run, the, I run the mechanics and I want them to feel like they can go off the path or they can, they can do something different. Um, the big question for me always comes up with the agency, and this kind of came up when a couple of times you circle back to, you know, how much agency do players want? Because as a player, I would say at first, I want that same kind of agency. But in a tabletop role-playing game, the other thing that I've thought more about now as a player, I'd say, you know, in recent years, probably then a long time ago is, I'm a player, but I'm a member of this party. And for most of the adventures I'm playing in, there is some sort of setup. I mean, there's an adventure. And for me, a lot of these games, there's some scenario, even if it's part of a longer, a longer either adventure path or, or dungeon. So if I'm a player in it, my agency, I wouldn't say it's constrained, but I, I'm always thinking about the big picture. If you're, again, there's an agreement that you're sitting down to play, I would say more a one-shot or some sort of campaign where there's an overarching set of events that the players may have other understood or started to get themselves involved with. Um, but it's a fine line. And maybe part of why I struggle a little bit with this is, is thinking about it in terms of, of, of one shots, because obviously if you're, if you're playing down for a session or if you're running a session like that, it is more constrained that you need to have some bounds. And as a player, I, I'm all in favor of agreeing with it, but I know not everybody is like that. And also I know that, you know, sitting down to a one shot, maybe for many people, it is not as attractive. And that could be one of the reasons there's not enough time to get that immersion, to get that character development. All right, so a big thank you to Brian from I'll Have to Look That Up podcast, who called in with a gigantic 15-minute call-in, and I'm interrupting it because I just kind of edited down the core of what a really cool set of points, really. I think there's three things to reflect on. First of all, big thank you for your feedback on the episodes we've 
guests, really. I've been having a lot of conversations. They have been valuable to me, obviously. But I'm really glad to hear that they're valuable to you too. Let's get into the two points that Brian raises here. And the first is this idea that, yes, we'd like to have agency and openness. And in an ideal world, we would like to have the full span of a four-player agency. I can decide what I do in this scene. I can decide which scenes I get into. And I can decide what the goal of the game is. But Brian points out his second point is really important that actually it depends on the kind of game you're playing. If you're sitting down to a one shot, then the GM will have chosen the goal and you kind of get accept that because it's a time limited and bounded thing. And often when we're starting a campaign, I think it's useful for the GM actually to give the players an initial goal. And in fact, what I've come to realize and then reflecting on this over the last few weeks has been, uh, and this is where, by the way, Brian's call is so useful to hear again. For me, I've started to realize that trying to build a big, massive campaign is a mistake. You need to start small. And I think what you need to start with is basically a bit of a one-shot that you sit down with some players and you create some characters, you put them into a situation and a particular goal and use player session. And then if you like that game, you can always extend it. Maybe our agency needs to grow over time and maybe it just begins with a short scenario and a clear simple goal and then the game starts with the players dealing with that situation hello jay it's anthony calling in from the casting shadows podcast in rain-soaked south korea calling in about the war of art episode that recently became available and I think it's very timely and you know well worth repeating message for many people not just your guest I've found myself shaking my head going yeah yeah there are projects that I definitely need to get out the door that have been sitting with me for years and and for similar reasons it seems to be easy to meet deadlines for work but personal projects or more artistic projects or or pitches for creative projects seem to be more vulnerable to excuses delays and, and setbacks and whatnot one thing i thought i would share of course is the old the old truism that perfection is the enemy of done uh but I always get, you know, kind of riled up about truisms or I, I resist them in some way. But one thing I have a, a more personal connection with is the notion that I encountered in the martial arts that perfection is attainable. And that sounds like something that it isn't. <laughs> like first you go, what? <laughs> and then you get all excited about it. It's like, yeah, I'm going to be amazing as a martial artist but then the meaning sinks in after a while and it's all about perspective and perception and that bugbear of quality the things that I think are not good enough now to others eyes don't look anything like that and the progress from let's say white belt to black belt uh, can seem impossible 
when you're a white belt and it seems like nothing when you're a black belt and you got your eyes on higher level belts and the things that they can do but then when you get there you still feel like that white belt all the time there's so much more to learn and now you've got the eyes to see what there is to learn but the people who are not you are seeing things very differently and they have all sorts of lessons to learn from your experience your perspective and the things that you want to share and put out there and holding them back just means that they never get seen perfection is attainable means we have a lifelong journey we can tinker it is something that we can come to terms with but the imperfections that we see are not really the imperfections that are there so anyway thanks for a great episode it's uh it's good what you do you know thank you anthony i'm gonna let his wisdom just hang there i think and just connect it to a call from Jason. Here's see what he has to say. Hey, Jay, Jason here. Just listened to episode 120, correction, 1224. And again, you're you're making a lot of sense. So I, I think we can find that mentorship from a number of different people in our journey to become better GMs. And one of the great things about our community is the vast majority of these folks are very welcoming and very open to discussing it. If you ask somebody, you know, oh, wow, I really like the way you, you GM that or the way you did that. Can we talk about it? They're very open and very willing to talk about their game and their techniques. So I think that to take advantage of that is something we should not overlook. Take care of yourself, and I'll talk to you soon. Hey, Che. Just got done listening to Something Shared. And originally, I was probably in a similar my, uh, camp or mindset or... Anyway, I, I would have probably agreed with Jason and... Uh, I've used the analogy of role-playing games and improv theater in the past. But after listening to your rebuttal, I, I have a change of mind. Um, I, I really think that... Uh, you're right, and and somewhere in all of that discussion, I was thinking about the idea of, or maybe it's the comparison of keeping all the rules behind the screen or just GM facing as opposed to players having to deal with the rules uh, from a mechanical sense. And, you know, a, say, like a, a first-person shooter video game where it's still a game even though the game mechanics are not obviously present to the player. 
Um, certainly there are rules that are, you know, become apparent if you are looking for them, but we are not concerned with the game mechanics in that sense. And, um, you know, I think that's actually, for me, that, that's a, uh, uh, that's a boon. That's a plus for keeping rules GM facing because uh, one of the biggest complaints I've had with playing with my kids is the accessibility of video games, you know, or many will, many people will call them RPGs, but I don't, to me, it's not exactly an RPG. Um, I suppose you do assume the role of someone in one of those games. Um, but it is somewhat limited by the boundaries of the of the game world. Because the players don't have to concern themselves with the the rules of the game. I think it would be easier and more accessible for players just to sit down and, let's say, control their character and then step into the role. So, um, yeah, thanks for that enlightenment. Hey there, Che. It's John here from the Red Dice Diaries. Just been listening to your Something Shared episode. Now I've got a bit more time to listen to podcasts. My new job was pretty hectic, but it's starting to settle down a bit. Sounds to me like you handled the negative feedback in a mature and measured manner, which is, I think, admirable. And it's definitely something I struggle with personally and could probably take a lesson from you in. I think it's difficult when you put time and effort into something to hear it criticized. But as you rightly say, you need to try and not take it personally and examine it in the cold light of day, as it were. See if there's any merits or some constructive feedback you can use to re-examine your perspective and perhaps improve. I've recently done a bit of training at work where I've talked about my propensity to always imagine the worst case scenario to any venture. Apparently, it's referred to as catastrophic thinking, so I'm told. And I'm trying personally to take more of a step back and not take things so much to heart. It's a great call-in episode. It's definitely made me think about how I handle criticism myself. So thanks very much to, for that, and I look forward to hearing future episodes. Keep up the good work. Hello, Jay. I've heard you say a few times how much you appreciate calls from your podcast listeners. So I figured that I'd pass this one on to you. This is my first call as a podcast listener ever. And as you may hear from my accent, my first language is French. I hope you and the other listeners won't be too afraid by this strong accent. I really appreciate the material that you put out in your podcasts and on your blog. I agree with the idea that you are an influencer. I follow the links you share. I read texts by people you talk about. As an anxious gamer, I recognize myself perfectly in the situations you describe. The last session I GM'd was in February 2023. And now that I'd like to bring back my players into the barrel maze, I have a question. What will they say when I'll contact them? Will they say yes because they had fun? 
or will they say no because I'm not reliable as a game master? That's what we'll soon see. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Jay. Big thanks there to John from the Red Dice Diaries and also Jean-Francois. Um, really great to hear from you. And Jean-Francois, I know that uh, it is always difficult to kind of put yourself out there in front of people. But um, my suspicion is that if you say to your friends, hey, you want to play, they're more than likely to say yes. But of course, this is the fear, isn't it? It's the great uncertainty, the great unknown, which kind of relates to what John was talking about. The kinds of distorted thinking that we can have and um as i sit here i'm turning to a page that i keep at the back of my diary it was given to me by uh, well, a file really that i printed off it was given to me by a therapist a couple of years ago now about unhelpful thinking habits and well one of them is definitely catastrophizing as john points out but another one is well mind reading assuming we know what others are thinking about us and what we want to do also the idea of comparing and despairing, seeing the good and positive aspects in others and what they do, and then kind of getting upset when we compare ourselves against those in a negative kind of way. And I think also making judgments, evaluations and judgments about ourselves, about others, about the world, whatever. I think all of these things are really unhelpful. And ultimately, I think the real trick is in noticing those patterns of thought and challenging them, questioning them, and moving from them towards something more positive perhaps something more grounded in the facts i'll just leave that thought with you hi jay it's barry here again just first of all i want to say thank you for the episode on fkr with paul jennings um what was interesting listening to his description of you know the free Krigspiel kind of style is that i think i've been running a game very very similar believe it or not um as I mentioned before in the past, in other episodes of your podcast, I think that I would game a lot with my son in the car. And actually, recently when we've been gaming, we've not had all the information we used to have for playing. For example, we've because of moving stuff in and out of the car and not work, you know, working in work and not from home so much and not doing what we used to do. We don't tend to have the character sheets in the car. And what we all have, all we have in the car really, is a bunch of maps and a bunch of notes that we've written. And actually, what we started doing is when he's been GMing in a way for me as well. So we've been playing random games between us where sometimes he runs a game and I play some characters or vice versa, going back to other things. And what we tend to do in those situations is actually we will get to a point in the story that we're sort of constructing together almost in that sort of style and we'll decide that there's a conflict he's rolling. And we are using GURPS still in a way. So what we do is we decide on sort of in our heads almost what the difficulty is going to be, what we need to roll less on in a 3D6 in the GURPS style. So off our own understanding of how GURPS was and how the characters used to have for like the skill level. So we are going off, I guess, what the GURPS rules would have been and what we think the skill level will be for that minus modifiers and actually rolling for that to determine success and failure. And like I said, that seems to fit really kind of well with the FKR, which was quite interesting to hear. So I guess it says absolutely you can use FKR with GURPS because I guess in a way I've been doing it. Um, it's interesting to find, I had a look at Paleolithic Voyages as well from the, the show, so that'll be worth checking out. And I mean, it's relatively inexpensive as a PDF. Um, and then from that, kind of a look at the Primeval 2D6 engine as well by Justin Hamilton. Um, so thank you, Paul, first of all, for that game, because actually with the character sheet, apart from anything else, I really like it. It kind of makes me feel like, you know, when Cypher first came along with Numenera and The Strange, I really like the way you started building up a character by having those kind of like, you know, noun-verb kind of combinations. But I feel like while Cypher went for some sort of traditional limits and rules, which I kind of don't actually like with the system so much, I feel like FKR is kind of in keeping with the idea that the mechanisms of, or rather the methodology of the game, rather the mechanism, should I say, kind of fits those descriptions. Um, and it was quite interesting to kind of see. 
and I guess looking into it, and I think is there something in this methodology that we both kind of want, um, in the sense that we'd still have character sheets with things on it that kind of alter an outcome um, and kind of affect how you play without bogging us down too much with feeling like we need to know all the rules and look them up. Um, and I guess, you know, if you look at things like, especially the fact that Primeval 2D6 Edge, I think kind of describes it quite well, that, you know, a player describes what they're doing and how they're doing it. And as you, the GM, kind of talk about what the outcome might, you know, not so much that. It is, I know we talked about a negotiation, but it feels like it's less negotiation. It's more just you making sure the players are aware of what will happen from their own character's perspective, what will happen if they try and do those things. And I guess if we try and fit that into how we work in real life, it's like, you know, if you look to scale a wall, you might think to yourself, well, I know I'm a competent climber, but that wall's quite slippy and the chance I might fall down and break my leg, etc. And it feels like if you if you do it the way it's intended, that's kind of how that conversation goes. And it's so you could, in theory, still stay in character if you can kind of, if that fits your style of play. And I guess there's something about it. And the advantage is that with that system, with the whole, you know, that one's a 2d6 opposed role thing. You still get to make rolls, um, but you're probably less hung up on that kind of numbers thing if there isn't those hard and fast rules. Like, you know, if you're playing GURPS and I know GURPS and you know GURPS some degree, we might know the kinds of things. And I guess if you can break away from the system a bit, and this is where the element of trust, I guess, comes in with you and the, the GM, is around about not necessarily getting too hung up on those numbers and those concepts and, you know, not being fluid with it as such because you can still stay consistent to it, but not being sort of hung up on those sort of rule systems might be quite good. I mean, I guess it's worth saying some of these concepts have been around for a while. I think it was AD&D 2nd Edition where it talked about with the number of proof and proficiencies, which I know some people aren't keen on, that actually the rule book talks about those being that if you have them, you are good at it and you don't need to roll. And the rolls are really meant to be there when there's a chance you might fail. But most things you can just do, you know, if you know how to, if you have the cheese making or proficiency, this does exist, you just know how to make cheese. And it's only really you'd have to make the roll if you're making cheese under some sort of pressure. You know, if a band of orcs are trying to attack you and you're basically trying to create brie in your pot, you know, you might have to make a roll. But otherwise, you wouldn't bother you know and it's kind of like that and is that something we need to think about really when we're running our games and so i guess the episode's got me thinking about when i run gurps and stuff should i be asking for less rolls um i mean i get the impression the players quite enjoy rolling dice and it's kind of something i've become used to asking for but and i mean most people i've spoken to of the older school D players for example talk about this a lot where you know you roll less and it's for example if we know a character has a high perception, do you just decide they spot most traps and do you not make them roll? You just say, you notice something strange on the floor or whatever. Likewise, with lockpicking skill, other than the very complex locks, do you just say, yes, you're an expert lockpicker, you've got 21 lockpicking, why would I make you roll for this really basic, you know, crappy lock on some hovel? <laughs> you just wouldn't. You just say, yes, you could, it's an easy latch, you could open it. And do we stop? doing the rules sort of as really kind of implied from the written thing and really talk about it, take it as a common sense thing that actually if someone's that good, they just wouldn't make rules. Now, to me, I have to admit there is a certain joy on making rules and knowing things could fail, that excitement around it. But I guess the question is, would it be interesting to maybe do some FKR style playing and kind of see how that fits and see how well that methodology fits with me? And it's something I'd be willing to try at some point in time and give it a go. You know me, I like to experiment. Anyway, that's my toppings for this little conversation and I thought I'd just leave it there. Thanks, Barry. Barry there from the Shadow of the GM podcast and my answer to that is yes. I think Barry you've managed to echo pretty much my thinking over the last uh, I don't know week or two since I had that chat with Paul. Like you I was really drawn to cipher systems. Uh, you are an adjective noun who verbs structure for creating a character and then sort of it bogs me down in like all of those adjectives and nouns and verbs all have like specific ruly things and powers and abilities which is kind of neat um 
and it's kind of cool if you want to play cinematically but um ultimately uh, what i really liked was the i'm an adjective noun who verbs um i'm a mighty warrior who fights for a simple example and then on the whole less roles i mean yeah i've been playing that way for quite a long while now where i try to use the dice less and think to myself really you know do they do they need to roll for this um so I, I think we're in that trajectory, and it's interesting. I mean, there is a call coming, uh, just the one after next, the very last call, which I'm going to kind of largely play without too much comment, but it seems to me that there's a connection between what you're saying and what that call is saying. So, well, there's a call from Hobbs first. Let's go and see what Hobbs had to say. Hey, Jay, it's Hobbs. Hey, man, I was just calling in to let you know that I'm out here. I'm listening, and I love you, man. I really wish I was more available and I could run a game for you that uh, didn't require you to roll any dice or do anything. It seems really kind of right up my alley, to be honest. I'm not sure I would want to play that way. I would be fine with it. Um, But I do know that I do like some crunchy feel, or I like there to be uh, an undercarriage of a game and not just be all narratively uh, invoked because I find those games easy, to be honest. I'm about to listen to your GM journal, 195, I think, Limbo, and I really can relate to that unanchored feeling. So, once again, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate what you do. So, thank you, and keep doing the job that you're doing, brother. Thank you, Hobbs. And, man, what a lovely message to have. And... Love you too, man. And you know what? I'm kind of with you. This is the tension that I have with FKR is that I do like the, as you describe it, the undercarriage. What I tend to think of as the skeleton of the game. And I guess the most difficult thing for me is I want to play in character as character, but I also want to play a game which feels like it has some... I don't know, yeah, some depth and some mechanism to it, bizarrely enough. So through all that we've just been talking about and hearing from Barry, I feel that. And this is where I guess the tension lies for me, that ultimately I like playing the game. And of course, the FKR lot often say things like the game is not the game, by which they mean that I think the rules are not actually the game. But I do feel like there is an element in my gaming, in my play, where I like playing with the rules. And so, yeah, that's a whole tension for me. But, man, I'd love to game with you. I'm sure we'll figure it out sometime. Um, I just, I don't know when. (laughs) But anyway, man, thank you for calling. I really appreciate it. And even though, yeah, as I record this, I'm in that state of limbo. I'm letting go of everything to see what comes next. Uh, That was the moment when the last call came in and I know that this is going to put my episode long but actually the call I had from James which I'm going to play in a moment was illuminating it was it was received in the spirit it was intended and I don't think I've got anything to say about it so I'm gonna at the moment anyway um other than okay uh and so I'm just gonna play it and then we'll kind of wrap up the episode from there 
Hi, Che. It's James here. This is in response to your episodes, Fear of Mastery and The Apprentice GM. Thank you for being so candid about your struggles. Really, you've been admirably open. Really, really brave, actually, and thought-provoking. Um, yeah, now, this may be a bit tricky. Please don't think I'm just trying to put a spanner in the works. Honestly, I'm not. I'm genuinely trying to be helpful. Okay, here goes. I, I question the whole approach you're taking. In these episodes, you had a go at yourself for having a butterfly mind. Seriously? Look, not only are you a dedicated and respected educator, you also run a podcast that from the amount of care and energy you put in, is it's effectively a second job. And you run a Discord server. So now you're seeking to game master with a similar level of professionalism. Wait a moment. <laughs> You're wondering how to turn having fun into a third job. And you're beating yourself up because you're sometimes too exhausted to take part. It's not exactly surprising, is it? So don't try to make game mastering into a job. Do less. Learn less. Plan less. Focus less. Now look, even saying that is just about heresy. It's all mixed up with ideas about morality. From what you've said on the podcast, you quite clearly have got a strong sense of ethics. The whole idea of just goofing around and being playful goes against the Protestant work ethic. Stop it. Play is okay. Having fun is okay. But doing something in a slightly disorganised, non-optimal, amateurish, casual fashion that's okay too. Look, I, I'm not saying this to be difficult and I'm not saying it because you can't achieve mastery. I'm saying it because I think that GMing is an art, not a science. What I mean by that is the more you think about it, the less it works. The harder you try, the harder it gets. As Master Yoda said, do or do not. There is no try. Social media, including podcasting, presents us with a template for activity that encourages us to productize and professionalize our fun. And if we do that, it's not fun anymore. It's work. By trying to master GMing, you may be stopping yourself from mastering GMing. To get my point here, it might be useful to think about the kids you've described in your school role-playing group. You've seen them get stuck into fantastic and engaging games when they really hardly know the rules at all, and they're mostly making it up. What if GMing is something that you start off knowing, and then as you get older, you unlearn it? 
I studied art and it's a lot like this. To do art well, you have to think less, not think more. When you do a drawing from life, you already have the answer right in front of you. So why is it that you can't render the pattern of light that's falling on the back of your eye? Because you get distracted by what you think your drawing should look like instead of just rendering what you're actually seeing. Young kids are staggeringly creative. Look at any parent's fridge and you'll see powerful art that could be something out of Africa or the Lascaux Caves. It's very mysterious. But as kids get older, they start trying to make their art conform to standardised criteria. They become inhibited and they just don't do it. So I propose that game mastering works when you stop understanding what you're doing and you just do it. Sure, you can do some preparation, just like you can make sure your kids have got some great paint, some good brushes and a nice pad of paper. But in the end, they might not need that stuff. They can make great art with a biro on the back of a school book and you can do great game mastering without knowing exactly what you're doing. In fact, I suspect that we do our best game mastering when we don't know exactly what we're doing and without being properly prepared. I've had my best experiences game mastering and my players have told me they get the most emotion and the most fun when the characters have gone off track and preferably at high speed. I've had to improvise whole sequences of backyards and alleyways of an exotic medieval city just because the characters weren't meant to go that way. Those scenes where they chase through a potter's workshop straight into a flock of geese, a gang of urchins hawking firewood, a rat catcher with a tame lynx, a carpet seller, a stray dog, a cowled priest praying, a camel train, a shouting milkmaid, a platoon of guardsmen, washerwomen at a well, peasants selling vegetables, a cart with a broken wheel, a wandering minstrel. Did you see where he went? Those completely improvised encounters become the most vivid and the most immersive and crucial to the resolution of the story in ways that you hadn't expected. So what do I suggest for rediscovering the excitement and the creativity of your games? Stop working at it and lighten up. Be prepared to do it badly. Find a way to stop caring so much and start having fun. And who was that priest? Did any of you get a look at his face? And that's almost it for another season. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Just cut the music a sec. Right. Big thank you once again to Frank, Brian, Anthony, Jason, John, Barry, Jean-Francois, Hobbs and James for all of the call-ins today. And James, yes... I hear you. No, I really do. As I said, this is almost the end of season 12. There's one more conversation I want to share with you, but after that, I'm not really sure if and when I'll be back for more episodes. So thank you for showing up and listening over the past four and a half years. I hope it's made a difference. Now let's do the outro. 
If you have any questions or comments, I would love to hear from you. Call in via speakpipe.com slash roleplayrescue. As you can tell, they make a huge difference. Thanks once again to all the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. Thank you also to John from Tale of the Manticore for the Roleplay Rescue theme music. And that's it. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. Maybe we'll meet again at the table. For now, I hope to see you next time. Game on.